Philippians and chapter number 4 is where we're going to be. And so I want to read some new territory for you here. And then we'll, we'll back up a step, refresh our minds on what we covered last time, and then get right into this, okay? So let's look in verse 5. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received, and heard, and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound <coughs> everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full <clears throat> excuse me, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Father, help us. Give us, dear God, um, exactly um, what we have need of. I pray that you would speak to every heart through your word. Thank you for the folks that are here. I'm blessed, Lord, to be here at South Valley, back with my family, and I'm thankful for the way you blessed while I was gone and the way you used me, Lord, in, in the areas uh, that you opened doors. And, and yet now here we are, and I thank you. I pray you'll bless this study tonight. Have your way and will in everything we say and do. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. So in our last study here in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul dealt with a schism. So he's dealing with a schism that had arisen between two trusted members of the church. We know they were trusted because Paul's plea to them was really very simplistic. He just, he's making a, a plea, making a um, request of them and believing that they're going to follow that. And so um, these weren't people that I, I feel like from the flavor of, of the text, these weren't people that were troublemakers, that were bent on trouble. These were good people that that love the Lord. And so Paul is writing them, you know, this, this isn't like you. And so he says in verse 2, if you look at chapter 4, verse 2, I beseech you, Odeus and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now the Bible doesn't say much about them. And uh, they could be two women in the church that were at odds over something. It could be a husband and wife. We don't really know um, because sometimes the names in those days weren't exactly uh, gender specific or revealing. And so um, it could be somebody throwing daggers at each other publicly rather than blowing kisses. And so, so they're, they're, there's a contention between them. We don't know what the contention is because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter why they're at odds. What matters is this is something that they were extremely passionate about and something that they disagreed sharply over, whatever the issue was. And so uh, it was obviously an emotional collision for them uh, and they were passionate enough about whatever it was to, to be at odds, wait a minute, to the point that their 
their conflict lasted. I mean, this wasn't something that boom was there and boom was gone. This is something that they were debating and arguing about to such an extent that Paul wrote them a letter. Or when he wrote the letter, Paul addressed them in this letter and said, Guys, this has got to stop. You can't do this. I'm, I'm beseeching you. That word beseech means I'm begging. I'm making a plea. I love you both. You love me. I know that. I need you. I need you to do this. I need you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Put aside Put aside the petty differences and the selfish um, uh, argument, the, the things that you're trying to uh, win the argument over. You may win the battle. The church will lose the war. It'll hurt the church in the long run. So he tells them two things they need to do. First of all, you need to rejoice. Okay, If you look at that, what, what he says there uh, 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 to them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So Paul said, first of all, you've got to change your attitude. You've got to learn to rejoice. And what that, what that means simply is stop zeroing in on whatever it is, whatever the difference is. Stop, stop, you know, stop zeroing in on that. That'll ruin a marriage. That'll ruin a relationship. It will. If Chip and I spent our entire time trying to pick out what we didn't like about each other, uh, it would be difficult for him, but easy for me uh, to find. No, we, we, if, if that's what we focused on, that was a joke, people. Okay, now look, I know I've been gone a week, and I know what kind of jokes you got Sunday, okay? <laughs> Let's get back with the humor. No, really. If, if anybody spends their time trying to focus on what I don't like about you, well, you, you can find that. If you want to get a magnifying glass out, and you don't, even have to, you don't even have to do that. If you'll just come to me, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you faults. I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, I got them. We all do. So it's not that we're proud of them, but, but, but we all have our idiosyncrasies. If we want to spot that in each other, then our relationship's not going to last very long. So Paul's saying rejoice. Now remember what he just followed. Get together. Come on. You've got to get beyond this. And now he's saying rejoice. That is change your attitude uh, toward each other. And maybe learn how to focus on the qualities that, that each of you have. That'll make a marriage more healthy. It'll make a friendship more healthy. It'll make a business venture more healthy if, you, if you're able to focus on qualities. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there are things that don't need to be dealt with or that there are things that don't really exist. You can't just, you can't just imagine away... You can't just imagine away flaws and conflicts, but you'll probably deal better with them if you have a better attitude going into the discussion about them. Second thing he said is simply this, uh, uh, and that's, there's another great verse. Look at that. Let your moderation, verse 5, be known unto all men, the Lord's at hand. And so what does the word moderation mean? It means simply uh, it, it's the balance of our desires and our appetites and our emotions and our impulses and our opinions. Okay? Rather than letting them control us, we control them. And we ration out. We ration. You ever met somebody that don't know how to ration out their, their emotions? They get mad and it's all mad. It's just all mad. He loses his what? What is it called? Losing your temper. Wow, that's the weakest response I've had since the last time I asked a question. All right, so you lose your temper. What does the temper mean? It's balance. What do you do when you cook? You temper it. You add an ingredient. And so when you lose your temper, it means you lose your balance. 
you become all anger. Okay? Or what, 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 a person that struggles with depression, we all have times when our mood is turned down. Somebody doesn't die and we say, <laughs> did you hear? No, we're sad. That's a part of our emotion. God gives us that. But if you, if you go... If you go overboard, if you lose your temper, if you lose your balance in that, then you become depressed and it stays with you. And that's a struggle that a lot of people face. A lot of people face it. I preached Sunday night in San Diego at the pastor's request on the black dog and how that so oftentimes that plagues us. And I'm going to tell you, there was altars filled with people that, 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 that knew someone or even themselves were struggling with, with feeling some downtime. And we've all been there. We've all felt that. We all understand that. And, 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 and sometimes there are things that add to that more than others, but they had lost their balance and they needed to regain their emotions and bring balance to the situation because they had lost their hand, handle. Now, here's what he says. Don't miss this. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. So the first thing he says to them, people are watching you. So if you're unbalanced, if you're, if you're not balanced, then boom, you're impacting your testimony in front of men. Here's the, here's the deal. Men are watching you. Now, folks, look at me. You can, you can sweep that under a rug. You cannot like it. You can just say, I don't care. Well, you should care. Scripturally, you should care. So here's the deal. Every one of us have to guard ourselves. Why? Because we're being watched and we are the light of the world. So we have to be careful to make sure we're exhibiting light to a lost and dark world. We have to, we have to, we have to be careful about that because men are watching, the, 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 uh, others are watching. And, and so, uh, by the way, notice what it says. Um, look, look at the verse again, verse number uh, five. Let your moderation be known unto men. Is that what it says? What does it say? All men. Okay, so what does that mean then? All men. Well, that means everywhere you are. You should be balanced everywhere. That's amongst family. That's on the job. That's at the, that's at the gym. Our moderation, the balance of who we are. That's in traffic. Okay, we'll move on. That obviously wasn't popular. I mean, really, we, 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 look, we got to keep our moderation and our balance. Wherever we are, whatever, let your moderation be known to all men. That means wherever you are, whoever you're near, you ought to have moderation in your life. Okay? Then it says, second of all, the Lord is at hand. So what does that mean? That means he's watching. The Lord is at hand. Okay? That means near. He's at hand. The Lord is watching you and he's watching me. And so the reality of the matter is not only can I hurt my testimony in front of my fellow man, but I can hurt my testimony in front of the Lord. And so we have to be careful. The Lord, the Lord is watching. Remember Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Proverbs 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. <laughs> you can't hide. You can't run. You're never out of sight. You're never out of mind. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding what? The evil and the good. So God sees us in the dark, in a cave, with the lights out. God sees clearly. 
I've told you the story of when we were in Merrimack Caverns in, in Missouri, and they took us down. There's 16 miles of caves, so they take us way down on the belly of the earth. And we get down on the shaft, and we're down on this big carnivorous room there. And the guy says, all right, have, how many of you have ever experienced total darkness? Well, total darkness isn't in your room when your eyes can adjust. They turn the lights out, and it's like, and then all of a sudden you can see. No, total darkness is when your eyes can't adjust, when your eyes don't adjust. And so we were down in the belly of the earth, so to speak. And he said, I'm going to count to three. Hang on to something or hang on to somebody near you. I'm going to turn the light out. So he flips the switch and everything goes dark. Everything just absolute dark. Well, my idiot nephew was with me. And right when everything goes dark, he lets out with a blood curdling scream that that shook the ground and the guy quickly turned the light back on and man, there were, people's eyes were bugging out and, and my nephew Tim was just standing there like, what? I, who, who did that? And uh, it, it was hysterical. But, but uh, you know, the, the reality of the matter is the Lord can see everywhere, even in the darkest of the dark, even in a place where no light penetrates, it's as though it was broad daylight. To the Lord. So the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding even the good. Now, notice with me in verse number six, okay? Verse number six. Be careful for nothing. All right? So let's talk about that for a moment. Be careful for nothing. What does that mean? It means do not be engulfed in anxiety. Okay? Being careful. For nothing means we're worrisome as we enter into whatever it is we're entering into. We're, we're filled with anxiety and we're worried. How many of you, <laughs> how many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever experienced anxiety? Something was happening or something could happen. Something was about to happen and boom, you can't sleep at night. Wow, yeah. You ever been there? Sure you have. We all have. At some point, something's happened and we're like, oh man, are you kidding me? And it's plaguing us. And it hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. And, and we are filled with anxiety and filled with concern and, and, and filled with worry. Uh, and what he's, be careful for nothing. You know what that means? That means that our confidence is to be so great in God that we do not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with worrisome fretting. It, listen, if our confidence in God is where it should be, and we have struggles with that, our our um, our life isn't controlled by the situation. Why? Because we know that we have a God who is sovereign and a God that is in control. And, and we, we have a sense of dependence on Him, and that helps keep us calm. Remember Matthew 6? You remember where Jesus said, um, take, uh, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for, the, for your life. Well, does that mean we're not, to take, we're not to think about our life? No, that's why you go to the doctor or the dentist and... That word thought, take no thought, he's talking about worrisome. Don't get fretful about your life. Watch this. Uh, what you shall eat. How many of you cooked tonight? Okay. Two of you. All right. How many of you have cooked this week? Let me see your hands. All right, good. Wow, we're having some marital problems. But anyhow, so, so you cook. Well, what were you doing? You cooking? I just threw some stuff in. I don't know what it's going to turn out. No, you planned the meal. So you took thought for what you were eating. That's not what it's forbidding. It's forbidding fretting over whether I'm going to have food to eat. We, we have to trust God. Take no thought 
What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than the meat and the body than raiment. And so he's just, uh, and, and remember then he says, go look at the sparrow, go look at the, go, go look at the lily. And I said this a couple of Sundays ago, but this is so important to me because we model up. We model up. If we can give an example, it's going to be something big. Boy, watch, watch this. It's big. You know what God said? Now let me, let, me tell, let me help you with this. Let me give you an illustration. Look at the birds. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies. So God brings everything down. If I will take care of a bird, how much more are you to your heavenly Father? So He models down for us. If He'll, if he'll watch out for, Leonard Ravenhill said, if God hears the inart, inarticulate screeching of a raven, how much more will He hear the cry of His children? And I think sometimes, look, look at me, listen to me. You're more value to God than, than the birds, than a lily of the field, than the grass that covers the earth. You're more value. So, we, so, so he's saying, don't, be, don't worry, don't fret. Now watch this, look at the second part of that verse. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So you got two words there. Actually three, but let's cover the first two, all right? So the first word is prayer. Let everything, uh, let, let everything by prayer. Now, what is prayer? Okay, prayer is talking to God. That's the simplistic asking and receiving, talking. How it, it, prayer is just the, it's the basis of our communication with God. Here's prayer. Father, what a day. What a day. Unbelievable. I was out on a, I was out on a four-wheeler, out on a quad out, out in the Mojave Desert. I went down a trail called Elijah's Run, and there was up on this hill. None of the guys had been up there, so I climb up on this hill. Up on this hill, I find, a, I find the remnants of a fallen tree that is petrified. I bought a piece of bark back, of petrified tree bark. I found a log on the ground that looked like it was ready to be picked up and put in the fire. It had the rings in it, the bark over it. It was, it was petrified. It's amazing. And I'm standing there up on that hill looking out across the Mojave Desert and the sun sets and the clouds are rippled. And I want to tell you, I was, I was standing there overwhelmed. I, I, I just spent time alone out there with God, overwhelmed with the beauty of what God had created. And I just said, Lord, this is amazing. It's just, a, it's just amazing. It's just beautiful. That's prayer. You can talk with God about anything. You can communicate. He's your father. He wants to hear from you. You can say, thank you, Lord, for the food. Okay. Bless it and give me strength with it. You can pray for your car if it's having trouble. You can pray for your animals if they're sick. You can, you can comment on, uh, boy, I had a friend of mine post a picture of the Northern Lights. He's in Minnesota. Son, you talk about amazing unbelievable. I've never seen the Northern Lights. I've, I want to do that. Somebody said you could see it from here the other day, and I, so I didn't, I didn't see it, but I want, I want to see the Northern Lights. I want to, I want to see that. All, it's just amazing. It's like a God putting on a show, and, 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 and you can just talk to God about it. So that prayer is the basic means whereby we communicate with God. So what is supplication? Well, supplication is a different word. It is, supplication is prayer, 
but it's our communication with God, wait a minute, that is launched by a specific need or desire. Most of the time it's mingled with maybe a desperation even, a definite need. So when I say to God, Lord, this is amazing. Thank you for this day. Bless my day. Lord, thank you. What a great day. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my grandchildren. That's prayer. But when I say, Father, I've got a friend that's got cancer, and dear God, I need you desperately to touch them. That's supplication, because now I've got something I'm going to God for that, that is not just the norm. It is the, it, it's the, it's the definite, sometimes desperate need. It's a supplication. It's me going to God and saying, Father, I'm here more than just to talk and to chat. And I lay out before God something that I desperately need God to do in my life or for someone that I deeply love. And so I can come to God in prayer with my hands in my pockets. But when I come to God with supplication, my hands are always outstretched, needing something from God. And so that's the difference. So he says, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, wait a minute. So you got prayer, you got supplication. How do you come to God in prayer and supplication? With thanksgiving. Okay. So what is it that recommends me to God? Okay. What is it that recommends me to God? Okay. Well, I'm his child. Yes. But have you ever had a child come to you and you said, no. No, you're not getting that. Why? Because you're not thankful for what I already gave you. Okay. So what is it that recommends us to God? We come to God in our prayer life and in our supplication with one primary thing that we have to bring with us. It's, our, it's the thing that recommends us. I use this illustration many times, but if you want to go to Costco, it's loaded with stuff. Okay. It's, it, there's all kinds of trinkets and stuff in there. All right. If you want to go to Costco and purchase something, Boom, you got to show them a card. Now, I like the glasses, the reading glasses that Sam's Club has. So I was in the city last year, maybe, or maybe I think it was in January in Texas or somewhere, and I went to a Sam's Club. I got the car, so I'm, I drove to Sam's Club, and I went and said, Ma'am, do you, do you all grant a free shopping trip so that I can familiarize myself with Sam's? And she said, No. No, no. Well, how do I know if I'm going to like Sam's? No, you, 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 can't, you can buy a card, and she gave me the price of the card. All I want to do is get glasses. I like y'all's glasses better, but I couldn't get in. You know why? I didn't have a card. So, so here's, here's how we come to God. We come to God with thanksgiving. And when we show God our card, when we come with thanksgiving, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. You know what it does? It lets us inside, so to speak, and it opens up for us the blessings of God upon our prayer life and our supplication. God blesses thankful children. Bob Jones Sr. said, when, when gratitude dies on the heart of a man, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, he is well nigh gone. It's true. When we stop being grateful, then we just pray to, to consume it upon our lust. 
We, we ask out of self. We don't even know how to really pray. If we're not thankful, we don't really even know how to pray to God. And so he said, when you come to me, you pray and you, you've got a need, you, you supplicate, then do it with thanksgiving. That's how I want you to approach me. And so it's very, very important that that recommends us. Now, notice verse 7. So here I come, I pray, and I supplicate, and you know what I'm doing? I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God. Well, what does that do for me? Look in verse 7. And the peace of God. Notice that middle word, of. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, when we are saved, we make peace. We have peace with God. Okay, so when I get saved, what happens immediately? I'm not. I got peace with God. So, so what? What does that mean? Well, I'm His child. I'll enter a relationship with God. I'm excited about my relationship with the Lord. But so many saved people don't have the peace of God. Peace with Him. I'm going to heaven. Are you sure you're saved? I'm. I know exactly when I got saved. You've been born again. Yes, I'm born again. Yes, I am. You don't have any doubt. Don't have any doubt about that. Well, why are you so miserable? Good night. You know why? Because, because, because their prayer life and their supplication life isn't with thanksgiving. They're not grateful. They're not thankful people. When you, when you are able to come to God and go to God with your needs and you're living right, that means you're thankful for what God's given you. That gives you peace the peace of God. God floods your hearts with peace um, because of your rightness in relationship with Him. There's no doubt about it. You have to get right to have that peace. If Susie and I are at odds, if something is not right between us, first of all, it's her fault. Let's clarify that immediately. No, if Susie and I are at odds with each other, something we're not agreeing on, you know what we have to do to bring peace back between our hearts? We have to, we have to, we have to get it right. We've had to do that over, year, over the years. That's a part of every relationship. Listen to me carefully. Conflict, conflict, listen, conflict is a part of a healthy marriage. You show me a marriage that has no conflict, I'll show you a marriage that one partner probably dominates the other and they're confined to the silent partner in life. Well, two people with opinions and the way you do, I don't mean, I, I'm not saying you fight. I'm just saying there can be disagreement. That's a part of a healthy, a healthy marriage. And you're able to work through those things. That's not a part of a, that's not a part of a diseased home. That's a part of a healthy home. And, and so, uh, you know, the peace of God, when you get things right and you harmonize again with each other, it brings peace. When we harmonize with God and we become grateful for what God's done for us, most of the time we're out of sorts with God is because God's disappointed us. We, he hasn't given us what we wanted. Okay? Remember the vending machine illustration? You press F6, the butterfinger doesn't fall. You're mad at the machine. You're looking around, nobody's there, so you start choking the machine. Or wedging your child up through that little door there. Get your head up in there and get that... Butterfinger, because you want your butterfinger. We go to God and we say F6, and God doesn't give us F6. Our butterfinger doesn't drop, and we're mad at God, and we're unthankful. And that's where we lose the peace in our relationship with Him, okay? Because God disappoints us. 
He doesn't do what we ask Him to do. Now, watch this. We, we, we have the peace with God, but we can have, also have the peace of God that carries us through storms and heartaches and difficulties. Now, watch, look at the verse again. Watch this. Great verse. And the peace of God, which does what? Passeth all understanding. Wow. What will it do? It'll keep your, it, it will keep your hearts and your minds. How? Through your relationship with Christ. It's a great verse. How does a family have a child die? And they get through it. It passeth all understanding. That makes sense. How do you bury a mate that has left you with small children and, and, and you were depending and you lived off of each other, you held each other up. How do you go through that? It passeth all understanding. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean there's not incredible pain and agony and dark nights. But how do you get through that? You, how do you get through it? It just passes all understanding. The peace of God passes all understanding. Have you ever been on this side of something and thought, I can't go through that? But suddenly, suddenly you find yourself thrown into the middle of it and life is raging. Life is just raging and you don't think you're going to survive. And then suddenly, you're on the other side of it looking back and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world did I get through that? It's the peace of God which passes all understanding. That's how we survive. That's how we survive the tragedy that so often comes our way. And it keeps our hearts and minds when we focus on it. Look at verse number 8. Watch this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, Pure. So let's look at those, all right? Let's, we, we've read that. Let's, let's look at this. So, so here's a list. Now, what is this list? This is how we filter our thoughts. So what am I going to think about? What, what, I mean, this is a messed up world. So how do I think? How, how shall we then live? What, the way we think affects the way we live. So what am I supposed to think about? Well, first of all, true. The things that are true. Now, we live in an information age, but the reality of the matter is there's less truth today than at any other time in the history of the world. Listen to me. This is the information age, but we have a deficit of truth. We're lacking we're lacking truth. So much false information, my word, circulating. If you're not careful, you become, listen, you become so obsessed with the false information that you'll spend all your time wasted battling the false information. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is you give more air time to it than you do the truth. I could get up every Sunday and give you a rerun of Fox News every Sunday. Boom. We could battle every single Sunday with, with the woke movement in our nation and, and, and the cancel culture, both of which are sick. They're trying to redefine our nation and redefine our, 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 the, the biblical uh, principles upon which not only our nation was founded, but our church is, is, is grounded. We, I could fight that every single Sunday. But then you give more airtime to error than you do, than, than you do the truth. 
I used to fish. We'd go on vacation when I lived in Georgia. My dad was around. We'd go to, on vacation to Sanibel Island, Florida. We would fish around Sanibel and Captiva, Little Captiva, Pine Island Sound. If you were to ask me, do you know where every sandbar and every shoal area is, where every rock is at? Do you know where all those are at? My answer to you is no, but I know where the channel is at. My concern is just not learning where all of the pitfalls, my concern is I want to stay in the channel. I want to know where the channel leads me, how to get, in, how to get into the, to the cove and how to get out of it. I want to, I want to follow the channel. And, and, and so I think that's important. Sanctify them, Jesus said in his prayer in John 17 and verse number 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Well, what is truth, Jesus? Thy word is truth. So how do I filter my mind? Right there. Whatsoever things are true, if it's not in the book, it's not true. Okay. I mean, if it doesn't pass the book test, it's not true. So the Bible has to be our filter. If it conflicts with the Bible, look at me. L listen to me. Where, where science and the Bible part ways, I couldn't care less what science says. These are people who don't even believe that, that, that life begins at conception. They believe it's okay to murder unborn children and to stop beating hearts. And yet I'm supposed to listen to science like they are the most brilliant geniuses in all the world. Did you know, did you know they don't even believe in a God? Did you know that much of science, much of science believe we evolved from an ape, that we had a tail one day and dropped it off? Who could possibly, tails would be great to have. Why would you even think such a thought? I'm just saying the reality of the matter is these are people that are supposed to be brilliant. They're not brilliant. They may be educated, but their system of education parts with the scripture. And who am I going to choose? The God that created the world or the men that, that have poisoned their minds in it? Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You choose science if you want to, but I'm good with God. I'll just stay with the book. Because here's the funny thing. Archaeologists, and I've traveled all throughout the Holy Land, things that they denied this guy. Pilate didn't even live. Well, guess what? They found the Pilate stone that's in Caesarea Maritime. It's amazing to me how that archaeology and science ultimately has to come to a conclusion. Yeah, that was right. Yeah, God's always right. Let God be true and all men liars. Okay, that's the scripture. Second thing it says is honest. That word indicates that, that, that we are to think on things that are respectable. Okay, it carries that connotation in that word. Honest things. That word honest means something that is, that is respectable in life. With the advent years ago of the talk show, people started discussing things that, that at one time were only whispered in private. Now they're blared in public. The sordid, debauched detail of the celebrity Hollywood life is discussed openly with cheers from the audience and everybody just thinks it's so great. It's not respectable. And with the advent of social media, it's made a sensational art of the public confession. I want to tell you publicly, wait, wait a minute, where are you at? I'm in my office. Well, who are you talking to? I don't know. Just, I'm just typing it out. When I worked for Bleacher Report, how many of you ever heard of Bleacher Report with ESPN? Wow, two of you. Thank you. Three of you. Okay, good. I don't feel near as famous as I, as I did a moment ago. 
I was hoping Colby would raise his hand, but he just stared me down. Uh, anyhow, I helped. I, I was one of the guys that sort of helped launch that. I was a, a, one of the early writers, and, and uh, it was a fun time. But you know what we had? We had, we had what we call keyboard cowards. Because somebody would write an article, Lisa Horn that, that writes for Fox News and the Sporting News uh, is a friend of mine. And, and so Lisa, Lisa would write an article and some guy would jump in and call her names, ridicule her the way she looked and, and just try to make fun of her. And, and you know what? It was just keyboard cowards. You write an article and here's these guys just jumping in and, and making critiques of it. Where were they at? They were, they were in their house sitting behind their computer screen, bashing people on their keyboard. Well, it don't take a lot of guts to do that. And so we have to be careful, respectable, okay? Respectable. We live in a day where you can lamb blast, and you may, be, you may even agree with the lamb blasting, but we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful that the things we do are respectable. Then notice, notice just. The third thing is just. What is just? It's what we owe God and what we owe man our neighbor. It's the duty of being right, being just, being right in our relationship with other people. Don't let other people sour you. Be right. Be right in it. Don't get jaded. Be right. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right. Though the stars fall from their silvery sockets, do right. Just do right. If it's right to do, do it. Do right. Be just. Be honest in your relationship with your neighbor. And do the right thing by the people you do business with, the people in your neighborhood, the, the, the people down at the soccer field where your kid plays. Do right. Do the, do the right thing. Do the just thing. And then notice the fourth thing. It's pure. And that deals with our state of mind and impacts the acts of our body. We should never dwell on anything that's immoral or, or carnal. Listen to me. That means what you watch on television, on your computer, on your cell phone. We're to, be, we're to be pure, okay? We're not to allow impurity into our life. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, For you bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So the way we act, the way we live, the things we do, and the way we think, what we meditate on, the spirit and intent of who we are, ought to be right, we ought to glorify God with it. Then notice number five, whatsoever things are lovely. And, and that, that, that takes our, you know, we, you should not meditate on things that are, that are unlovely. There's a lot of unlovely junk in this world. Don't, 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 don't meditate on, don't, don't meditate on, the, on the unlovely, sinful things of the world. Why? Because it depresses our soul. So the things I want to look at are lovely things, okay? Lovely things. We talked about the sunset a while ago. That's lovely, okay? And the creation of God. Learn to, learn to loosen up. Calm down, slow down, okay, unwind, and look around you. Because the things that God made, I love the poem by Joyce Kilmer. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. I you know what Joyce Kilmer did? He sat one day and looked at a tree and said, I can't do that. It's amazing. And so we, we, need, to, we need to look at, at what's lovely. Then it says, of, uh, whatsoever is of good report, that deals with the thoughts that impact our testimony. It's of what? It's of good report. I'm going to think on this. Why? Because that'll lead to a good report, okay? And so we ought to, we ought to, we ought to view things. Is that, is what I'm thinking and meditating on, is that, of a good, is that a good report? What if others knew about that? Would that be a good report or a bad report? And so we're to abstain from all appearance of evil 
And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we have to be careful what things we allow our mind to dwell on. Is it of a good report? What if we put it on a screen right here? Would it be good report? And then it says, if there be any virtue. Now that virtue is a, that word virtue is not a, it's, it's, um, it's a word that was frequently, frequently used in pagan religion. That's what the Greeks strove for, virtue. Somebody said that Napoleon was as great a man as ever lived without virtue. That's a, that's a thought, if you'll chew on that. Napoleon was as great as a man could ever be without virtue. And so what did the Greeks strive for? What did the Romans strive for? What did the Spartans strive for? Virtue. Virtue. The problem is without virtue, if virtue becomes the main thing, then, then you're humanistic. I want to discipline myself and have the character to be a great man. I want you to see my qualities. I've got virtue. Virtue is important. But the mistake they made, the mistake they made was that they made virtue the end when virtue is simply a product of our walk with Christ. And so virtue is not the only, it is a thing, but it's not the only thing. If there, be, if there be any virtue, character alone is not enough. Wait a minute. Then he adds this, and if there be any praise. Well, praise to who? To God. Praise, it brings us back to why we live. It's, it's not to please self, virtue, alone. It's to please God. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So how, how are you to live? To prove to people I got virtue. I just want you to know, Pastor Dino, he's got virtue. No, no. I'm to live in a manner that doesn't bring glory to me, but that brings, if there be any praise. Am I living in a way that doesn't exalt myself? If there be any praise, think on these things he's saying. Now, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Got just a few minutes. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So let me give you this, okay? Look at it again. And the, and the God of peace shall be with you. Though, Paul said, look, the things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, do those things, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Paul practiced what he preached. Now remember this. So those things which ye have learned and received, what does that mean? That means taught and caught. Taught and caught. Some things are taught, some things are caught. You'll teach your child some things, and your child will catch things from you by your example. So some things are taught, some things are caught. It's not necessarily a formal lesson where you sit down and say, okay, here it is, this is what I do. Sometimes it's your child observing you and watching you and saying, wow, that's what, my, that's, that's what mommy does. That's how daddy does it. And they, they catch that. So those things which you have, you have um, uh, heard and, and received, I mean, you, you, he said to, to them, you, the things you've learned and received and heard, that's audible, and seen, that's visible. Paul said, I'm trying to model for you the things that I'm preaching to you, I'm trying to live out for you, okay? Verse 10, now, he's, verse 10, 11, and 12, we're going we're to finish. Verse number 10, look at that verse. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So Paul's thankful that they're caring for him because there came a time when that wasn't possible. So what did Paul learn to do? Paul learned how to wait. 
Now, nobody here says, boy, I like waiting. No, waiting is a difficult part of life, especially in our relationship with the Lord. Listen to this, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, Psalm 27 and verse 14. But we live in a culture that doesn't want to wait. We want it now, now, now. I tell you about my friend, Jack Jarrett, who served on staff at me. I love Jack at, at, at a Bible Baptist Savannah. I walked out in the hallway. Jack was leaning, beating his hand against the wall. And he said, God, I want patience and I want it now. He was being comical. And, but isn't, I mean, he was being funny. We laughed, but isn't that true? Lord, I want patience and I want it right now. We live in the instant society. That's what, that's what we're after. We want God to do for us right now. Here, here's the problem. Look at me. Listen to me. We're in a rush. Because of that, we expect God to, to be in an equal rush. And God just said, I'm not keeping your pace. You need to keep my pace. But I'm not going to keep your pace. He's God and we're not. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of one. I have learned, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He wrote to Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 8, he says again, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetous, and be content with such things as ye have. For, uh, for he hath said, I will, I will never leave you, nor forsake thee. Now can you think of how varied Paul's life was? Talk, the, Chip, you talk about, talk about changing situations? Good night. I mean, this, this, just, just, just think about Paul. Um, I, I, the perfect picture of that is when he's, remember when he was shipwrecked and he lands on an island and he goes and sits by the fire and they say, this guy, his ship was wrecked because he's, he's probably a criminal, God's judging. And, and then a serpent leapt out of the fire and bit him on the hand and he shook it off into the fire and they said, he survived that? He's not a criminal, he's a God. So people, a lot of times you're either a criminal or a God. It's one or the other. Paul, Paul um, was celebrated by the, church, the churches and, and yet left, left for dead by the Jews. He was revered by some and cursed by others and loved by some and hated by, by the rest. He, he learned how to live detached from the circumstances. Can you do that? Or do the circumstances of your life determine your attitude and your Attitude toward God even. I mean, is it the circumstances that are controlling you? Paul sort of figured if God was in control, then, then he would accept whatever God brought his way. Notice what he said there. He said, for I have learned. Can I ask you a question? What have you learned? For I have learned. I've learned whatsoever state I am. That's the state of Idaho or the state of Georgia. I've learned whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Let me ask you a question. What have you learned? Let me ask you this question. Do you take good notes or do you just waddle through things? And the next time you go through them, it's sort of like, yeah, here I am again. Well, what notes did you take the first time you went through? Take good notes in life. You'll be glad you did. You'll be able to refer to those when you're instructed again in the school of life that we all are. Verse 12, and I close. I know both, circle the word both, that's an important word. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere 
And in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. The word abased is a word that is used in the Greek language. Uh, it's an old word that refers to a river in the time of drought. I know how to dry up. <laughs> That's what the word abased means. I, I know how to dry up. I know, I know how to run low. I know what life is like when there ain't no water in the river. And then he says, I, I know how to abound. That's the exact opposite. It also is an old word, and it means to overflow. So Paul's saying this, when the riverbed is dry and parched, and when it's running over the banks, Paul said, I know both, both how to be abased and how to abound, both how to run low and how to overflow. Can I ask you a question? It's not either, let me just make a statement, then the question, it's not either or. Either or means, well, I'm either happy, you know, this, that's, that's, that's the life that's, I'm either happy, I'm a happy person because why, everything's going good. Or I'm just sad because nothing ever seems to go right. You ever met somebody either or they're either happy or they're Paul said, I know how to do both. I can, I can handle both. When, when the riverbed dries up, do you panic? When the river overflows, do you just have that feast or famine mentality where you're just so excited that you're setting yourself up for when the river goes dry again? Can, can, you, can, you, can you handle it when everything's not going good? What, what, if, what if you get applause? What, what, what if you abound? What if you get applause and everything's going great? Do you get prideful? Like, hey, man, I'm somebody. What, look at me. Look who I am. And when the river dr goes dry, do you think, well, I don't know if even God even loves me. No, no. Paul knew how to deal with both. I pray that God would give me and you the balance to be a both person. To serve Him, to be faithful when the river's high and the river's low, that our, our walk and our fellowship with God isn't impacted either way, that we just stay true. All right, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us, dear God, I pray, to be people that know how to be abased and how to abound. And Lord, just to trust you, it's really what it's all about. May the thoughts of our heart and life be those, those true and just and pure and lovely. Lord, the good report, the virtue, the praise. God, I pray that your word would filter our minds because we know as we think we will be. So bless us and help us. God, give us a great day on Sunday. Help these that are in our prayers, Lord, for Carolyn. Bless her. Help her. For Kevin, Lord, uh, give Kevin strength to get better and maybe even others that we're not even aware of that are sick. Lord, help them. Give us a great day Sunday, Lord God. Would you bless? Would you work? Would you do what only you can do? I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd bless the funeral. Lord, help help in a way that would be a comfort to the Fountain family. And Lord, we'll give you praise for it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.